Welcome to Conversations Live. For more than a decade, we've brought you the best in books, entertainment, celebrity interviews, and current events. When the movers and shakers of the world have something to say to you, they say it to us first. Here's your host, Cyrus Webb. Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations Live. I'm your host, Cyrus Webb. Glad you all could join us once again. For our radio audience tuning in at WYAD 94.1 FM and WYADonline.com, we're glad that you all can be with us. Also, just tuning in through our online affiliates around the world, thanks to our podcasting. We're glad that you all could be with us as well. Our next guest is Robert J. Lifton. We're going to talk to him about his brand-new book, Surviving Our Catastrophes, Resilience and Renewal from Hiroshima to the COVID-19 Pandemic. It is a timely look at some of the catastrophes that have definitely impacted our lives, but also the lessons hopefully learned and what he hopes you're able to take away from them to use moving forward. We'll talk to Robert not only about the writing of the book, but also the research that went into it and what he wants for you as readers to remember about the book as well. Robert, thank you again for the time. Glad to have you on with us today. I'm glad to be on. So, Robert, this book is really timely, I think, considering where we find ourselves with COVID-19 still being something that is impacting our lives. We have the memories, of course, of what has happened with Hiroshima, of course, with the movie that's out right now, Oppenheimer. That has been front of mind. What has it been like for you, Robert, to see the way that people are responding to the new book? Uh, well, there's been a wonderful response to the new book uh, in reviews and in comments about it. So I've been pleased by the response to the new book because the new book emphasizes that we have many catastrophes that face us. Uh, they're quite evident, uh, nuclear climate, um, also the threat to our democracy, uh, and uh, the COVID pandemic in an immediate way, which is an all-consuming worldwide or planetary threat, so that uh, we must face and confront our, uh, our disasters or uh, all of what we experience in trauma in order to survive our catastrophes. The catastrophes must be faced, and survivors have a very important role in that process. What I love that you did in the book, Robert, is really show us, for one, we have to acknowledge that the catastrophe actually took place. And we live in a world, unfortunately, where denial of truth is prevalent in many ways. But I think your book really does show us the danger in not remembering or acknowledging. What has that part of the conversation been like for you, Robert, to remind people of it's not enough for us just to learn from history. We also want to make sure we don't forget what has taken place. Yes, exactly. Um, so uh, confronting the fact of catastrophe, that's seems to be a simple matter, but it turns out, and this is what so threatens our democratic society, that a repetition of the great lie about the election steal um, uh, is, uh, if made often enough, 
takes hold in a disturbingly large number of people. But first we must combat and recognize the existence of catastrophe. Uh, and in that process, there are survivors who have special knowledge of it uh, and can bring us what I call survivor wisdom because they have themselves experienced it. Nobody in Hiroshima could deny that the bomb fell, uh, but uh, certainly with the big lie, there's a big denial of the catastrophes that I've mentioned. And by looking at what happened in Hiroshima, the experience of survivors first as helpless victims who were acted upon and injured physically and psychologically uh, and came close to death, of course, with uh, a high number of deaths in Hiroshima. Uh, that catastrophe was uh, experienced by them and leaders could emerge from among them what are called emergent leaders and they could organize thoughts about a transformation from a helpless victim to an agent of change. Helpless victim uh, to a survivor as an agent of change. And survivor groups formed. They had to be collective. And in that way, they began to create survivor groups that had an impact uh, on society as well as improving their own uh, sense of themselves because of, it was a way that the terrible experience could be given meaning. It was a kind of survivor mission to tell the story. So they came in groups all over the world to tell the story, <clears throat> did a service to us, uh, and in a way, were also serving their own well-being. And Robert, that is why I think this book is so needed, and I definitely encourage our audience to be able to to read it. There's another example you give, and that's what happened with Auschwitz. And I think it's something that, again, unfortunately, there are people who have denied the you know the horrific atrocities that have taken place there but you said something interesting in the chapter the struggle for meaning i want to share with our audience about coping mechanisms and this is what you wrote for those who have the hardcover edition of the book it's on page 29 there robert writes survivors as victims of extreme trauma can also undergo a form of what i call doubling the creation of a seemingly separate traumatized self necessary for adaptation, while still holding on to elements of one's prior, less immobilized, pre-traumatized self. Both selves are, of course, part of one's overall self, but can be functionally almost independent. That is why former Auschwitz inmates, when asked how they managed to survive, could say, I was a different person in Auschwitz, or I simply stopped feeling. I want, I want to talk about that for a moment, because I think there are people who are listening to this, and it's it's interesting we're having this conversation on the anniversary of the events 
of September the 11th, 2001, another event that definitely has traumatized so many. What has that been like for you to see how survivors of such trauma, Robert, have found ways to cope and to and to manage their lives? Uh, when leaders emerge, uh, they manage to articulate uh, in a beginning way the feelings of survivors, and they can help survivors uh, collectively move away from complete victimization uh, into survivors who uh, represent change and renewal. And in that way, you have the beginning of survivor groups which tell society what they have been through, have this special knowledge. Uh, And in that process, survivors become leaders in all peace movements. For instance, um, in the recent UN decision, a very important one from ICANN, as it's called, uh, that to the effect that even the stockpiling of nuclear weapons, not just the use, violates international law. Survivors played a major part in bringing about that UN decision, and uh, they were leading voices in describing their experience, and among those who came to convince the United Nations to make this important judgment. So survivors came to be leaders uh, of uh, recognition of what had happened and of uh, the commitment to peace, which I call a survivor mission. And in a survivor mission, one can devote much of one's life to telling the story of what happened. And uh, they then become what I call actively witnessing professionals. And uh, that serves society uh, in a very powerful way. Such a great point and such a great acknowledgement for our audience. I want to say for those who are just tuning in, either on the radio side or online, you're listening to Conversations Live. Robert J. Lifton is our guest for this segment. We're talking to him about his brand-new book, Surviving Our Catastrophes. We're going to remind you how you can get your own copy of the book. Robert, I have to ask you, because there is so much heart that goes into this research you've done for this book, What is it that keeps you optimistic? I mean, you do talk about in the book about some of the changes that have been made, some of the things that have been done, but some of that change is slow and not even recognized by all as necessary. What keeps you optimistic in this work that you're doing? Uh, It's not so much optimistic as hopeful. Uh, Nothing is guaranteed in what I say. But uh, there is a pattern that is hopeful in the way that I describe. And uh, one way of putting this, as I do in my book, is that when you undergo extreme trauma and are victimized by extreme trauma, the self can either uh, close down, 
with extreme psychic numbing, as I call it, a diminished capacity or inclination to feel, or it can open out uh, into describing what it has been through and in that way conveying the experience uh, more powerfully than anyone else can. And survivors in that way create a legacy which others later on from different generations and different places can embrace. They can embrace the words of the original survivors as that group tends to die out, as is happening now. And they can make use of those earlier experiences and even the earlier language in order to uh, apply it to their own situation, which may be different from that of the original survivors. So that is the hopeful dimension. And the hope is uh, given uh, expression by the fact that among COVID survivors, there are immediate survivor groups uh, which uh, are called by such names as uh, these are people who have experienced it and had recovered from it or COVID or uh, whose family members or people they were close to have experienced it. And they form groups called Marked by COVID or COVID survivors for change or young widow and widowers uh, of COVID-19 or even the interesting phrase body politic. These are, and they study particularly forms of long COVID. And in that way, uh, they bear witness to it and they are already having an effect on American society. And the other thing I would say in regard to confronting our catastrophes is that the rest of us who take such intense steps to avoid COVID, we may move to different places if we can, or change the way we live, or interact with people, uh, change our lives really. Uh, in this way, we are seeking to avoid COVID, which we feel threatened by. And we're threatened by death anxiety because COVID uh, is a harbinger of death. And we don't usually think of it in those terms, but we too are in that way survivors of COVID and of the death anxiety that it uh, promulgates. Uh, and Society does well if the intense, immediate survivors whom I've described who form those COVID groups uh, are in better connection with the more distant survivors who are the rest of us, but are also seeking to cope with death anxiety from COVID and to, uh, in some ways, transform that death anxiety into kinds of various kinds of activism. And it is such an important thing for all of us to be able to consider, Robert, and because of you, we have a book that gives us some powerful examples to remember, 
but also gives us that reminder of the work that still continues today for all of us, as you were just mentioning. Again, everyone, Robert J. Lifton has been our guest. The new book is Surviving Our Catastrophes. It's out now through our friends at Amazon.com or through your favorite local bookstore. You all can get it there. Robert, how can our audience stay connected with you? Pardon me? How can the audience... Um, yes, I'm sorry. How how can the audience stay connected with you? Uh, they they can uh, they, they they can in some way uh, write to me, and what they say will uh, at my website rjlifton.com, and uh, and their words can be there taken up. Okay. All right. So rjlifton.com, we'll make sure that we link that up for our audience. Robert, congratulations to you again, and thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. More than welcome. And we thank you, our audience, for tuning in to another great segment of Conversations Live. Until next time, I'm your host, Cyrus Webb, saying, as always, enjoy your day, enjoy your life, enjoy your world. Thank you all for choosing Conversations Live. Let's go make today amazing. Take care.